you. Thank you. Thank you, Nicole. Um, hello, everyone. My name is Pauline. I'm an alcoholic. Hello. And um, I just want to say, first of all, I have been to very few in-person meetings um, over the last couple of years. And um, it was just glorious coming into this room and the greeting I got. So I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, it's just so totally uplifting um, and beautiful. And I know that's how AA works, but it's lovely to see it in practice. It's lovely. Um, I'm speaking on behalf of myself. That's most important. Not on behalf of AA. And I thought someone's kicked the bucket. I hope not. <laughs> and, um, not, not, not because of my chair. No, I haven't started yet. And so I'm speaking on behalf of myself, not on behalf of AA. Um, it's most important. It's just, it's my story. And it's the only one I've got. And I'm never... Uh, and it's not conceit, but I'm never nervous taking a chair. After the first chair I ever took was I was about a year, 13 months sober. And I was paralyzed, paralyzed with fear. And I was, I was like that. And it was at my home group, Toynbee, which I totally loved. Oof. Thank you, Toynbee. Um, and, um, and I knew that they were warm and friendly and kind. And I knew they wouldn't judge me or anything. I knew that. But I saw... They're going to think, why is she bother talking? You know, why doesn't she shut up? And what does she know? And uh, that was the that was the committee on my shoulder saying that. And um, and I took the chair, and but I said to my sponsor at the time, um, when I'd been asked, I said, they've asked me to take a chair. And he said, Yep, it's about time, because I'd never shared from the room. I shared with my sponsor all the time, but not not in the not in the rooms. And um, I said, no, but you don't understand. I'm afraid I can't do it. And he said, no. He said, there's no such thing as can't. Won't. Mm. Won't. But he said not to come. So I said, and he said, and then he got me. He said, and this has worked every time. I love it. And I use it myself. He said, do you want to be well? And I went, yes. He said, then I suggest you try. <laughs> I love it. That's how I but well, um, but at the time, um, I didn't go, yeah, how wonderful. I thought, but I knew that I needed to do it because that was part of, that's part of what happened. And I said to him, but suppose he, and he said, I know why you're frightened. He knew me better than I knew myself. He said, you're frightened because you think you're not going to be witty because the people, it was like um, a novel there, Damien Runyon, because it was the, there were characters, Annie Board, Arthur, Scarface, Johnny, Johnny the Flowers, Mick the Tick. I mean, <laughs> all characters, amazing sobriety. They'd go miles to go and rescue someone, or see if someone was drunk, that they'd look after them for three days in their own house while someone looked after the wife and the kids. That was all action. Action, action. They didn't. They didn't have that much time for reading. My sponsor said they didn't because a lot of them couldn't read. <laughs> but they got the message from the big book. It's all pure big book, all Hitler. So when I was going to do my first chair, Mike looked at me. He said, "Do you think you?" He said that because there were a lot of comedians there, natural ones, and he said, "Do you think you're going to be funny? You won't." He said, and you think you're going to say something clever? He said, you want to say something clever to impress people? Forget it. He said, you haven't got it in you. And, <laughs> and, then, and then he went on to us. He said, so you've got nothing to worry about. Just open. And he said, just open your gob. He was a guy from the East End, Jewish guy from the East End of London, the best angel in the world, if you don't mind me saying so. He was my angel. Because the first day I met him, from that first day, I haven't had a drink yet. From that first day, what an angel. He passed the message to me. But on this 13 months chair I was going to take, he looked at me and he said to me, all you're going to do is open your gob and the truth will come out. He said, you're the only one who knows your story, Pauline. He said, it's going to be that. And I said, okay. And um, so I've, I don't get nervous. But what I was thinking was I sat here today, I, I've taken a few chairs lately and the reason for it, well, I, I take chairs, but reason for it, and I'd like to say, now's a good enough time to say it, um, a day at a time, oh, sorry, it blows me away, um, a day at a time, on Sunday, the 20th of March, I was 50 years sober. 
AA. Thank you, AA. What a gift you gave me. And thank you to my higher power. The two of them work wonders together. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And up until today, I haven't had a drink yet. And I believe in that. I stay sober one day at a time. And thank God for that, because I'm, I'm going to jump around in the chair, because um, if you don't mind, but you'll get, you'll get an idea of me and, and uh, as it goes on. Um, and it's just as well, because I've forgotten what I was going to say. That's some, um, I was 80 years old about two months ago, and um, my memory serves me well. But sometimes I have to catch up with words I've forgotten. So don't worry about that. Um, I haven't gone see now, but um, I get a little bit forgetful. So don't worry, because um, I won't worry about it. I'm on my journey. And my journey's been great so far. It's been great. It's been great. It's been a gift. So jumping around again, just to say what it was like. What it was, my childhood, I knew what unconditional love was. I was brought up in it. My grandmother, and these are all, by the way, gifts. I see I see all oh, this as gifts. Because it is. I have I had a grandmother and my auntie and my sister, and I know what I knew what was unconditional love because I was given it. That was my family, my beautiful family. And my mother lived with us. I didn't know my mum. She lived with us till I was nine, and she was always drunk, passed out or, or out of the flat. And I only remember one conversation with her. She died when she was 30, and I was nine years old, and we lived together. And I'd only remembered one conversation with her. She was not capable. She was drinking or ill or unconscious. And she died of her kidney imploded through alcohol. But this is the amazing thing. I think it was 1950, what, 52, I think. Um, she was in hospital and she wrote a letter for my sister and I at home. And she said, when I come out of hospital, she said, I'm going to give the, the nasty drink up. I mean, she'd said this many times, bless her. My grandmother said. And she said, and I'm going to, we're going to go to the zoo and we'll do nice things. And um, at that same period of time, my grandmother told me when I was older, she said, the doctor at the hospital who was tending to her said, Hilda, you're going to die very quickly, very shortly, if you don't stop drinking. And he said, but wait for it. He said, there's a fellowship. He said, it's called Alcoholics Anonymous. And he said, I hear they do wonderful things for alcoholics and they're able to stop drinking. This doctor, this is 1951-52. And he said, Please give them a try. He said, it's your only chance. He said, to live. He said, and, she, he, and my grandmother said that my mummy said, no, thanks. I want to drink. I'll die. And within a couple of months, she did die. But this wonderful doctor was already passing the message. How beautiful is that? And, uh, and strangely, nothing to do with that. But my mum, I was nine when my mum died and she was 30. But I stopped drinking when I was 30. I haven't had one yet. Um, just a coincidence, I don't listen. I'm not reading anything into it, but is there anything? I don't know. It's just beautiful. When she let go, I came alive. I came alive. And so I knew unconditional love, but this is my background. I never fitted in with my family, I did. But I, I used to look at people at school with children, they'd be friends and joking what they did and that. And I thought, how can they do that? How can they talk like that? How can they share things? I didn't know how to do it. And when I got a job at 16, I didn't know, I knew how to do the job, but I didn't know how the other trainee hairdressers could talk to each other and talk about their weekends. I never did anything. I ran home to Nanny all the time. I kept running home to my grandmother, whatever age I was. I would still be doing it now <laughs> if, if it hadn't been for me. I'd still be running to my grandmother. Um, I didn't know how to do life. And when I was 16, I remember um, I've always had a higher power. I have a different one now. M my higher power, if someone's short of one or looking for one, could always um, bother the one I have. It's got plenty for everyone. It's pure love, which I learned as a child from my family. And that's what this is made up of, this program. 
It's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome what's on offer here. It's awesome. Makes me cry because it's so beautiful. You could imagine. Who could imagine? You have to nearly kill yourself and get desperate and nearly die to get so much beauty. I'd do it again if this is what's on offer. I'd go through it again and it was hell. So what happened to me, because I didn't have much self-worth, I felt useless and so forth. I didn't like it, didn't want it, but I, I, um, I allowed myself to be used by men. And I'm not blaming men for that. I allowed it by not stopping it. And I didn't know I could stop anything. I didn't know I had any say. I just thought I was worthless. I wasn't brought up to feel like that, but that's how I... I had two marriages. They were brutal, brutal. And twice I was hospitalized. And on two occasions, I nearly died due to my husband's. Um, the brutality was towards me, not towards them. And, um, and I never said a word. I never reported it. And I was like that. And I used to do that when I was beaten up. I thought they'd get tired soon. I'd get cracked in the head, cracked in the lip, everywhere. And, um, and that, that was my life. And I was raped. That was my life then. And I didn't know I had a choice. I had two children and I had them fostered out. I didn't know how to look after children. Didn't know how to look after me. And then I drank. I left my second husband and these were the words. I left him abroad. I thought, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. And it took a lot of courage. because he, he, had, he had damaged a lady before me. I, I knew her. And he'd, he'd cut her face when she left him. And so I knew that was a possibility, but I thought, then get it over and done with. I can't live like this anymore. I got, it was fear. I couldn't stand the fear anymore of speaking, saying good morning. And my husband would say, it's not good morning. Bang! Like that. Or cooking something. I don't like that. Like that. I was 27. And this is what I said to myself. I thought, I can't take anymore. I've, I've got to go. And I left him, and as I got on a plane, and my children were in England, I thought, I'll get my children out, I'll get a job, and I'll forget all my past. And as I got on the plane, the stewardess, I was always allowed three drinks if I was with my husband, nothing, nothing more. And I never drank secretly, because he would have killed me if he found out. I was more afraid of him. That was stronger than the booze at that time. And I got on the plane, and I remember saying, after she asked me, the stewardess, after three drinks, do you want another drink? And I said, I was just about to say, no, I'm not allowed anymore. <laughs> and then I thought, I'm free. I've left him. I can do what I like. I am free. And from that day, and oh, so I got, so I was on the plane, remember asking for another drink. And the next thing I knew, I was at my grandmother's home in Soho. I'm born and brought up in Soho, my lovely Soho. I had a bottle, I had something hurt under my arm that was hurting my arm. And I didn't, and I thought, my arm's killing me. And I came out of a blackout, which I didn't know what a blackout was then. I just thought, your memories gets a bit hazy. And as I came out, it was a bottle of brandy, unopened. I had no luggage, that was still on the plane or somewhere. Um, and I had no money because my husband refused to give me money. He had all my money. It was all in the bank. I had a lot of money. It was all in the bank. And he said, you're not getting it. So I said, keep it. So I had this bottle of brandy. How I got it, I don't know. How I got to my grandmother's, I don't know. And that was the that I, so my drinking, and again, my drink, this is my story. I drank, I, I drank before, but there was control because of my husband's. So I've only had a couple of blackouts before, but this was serious drinking. And when I mean serious, for me, once I pick it up, I cannot stop. And I knew that before I knew I was an alcoholic. I knew straight away when I was drinking. I thought, I can't stop when I, when I drink, start drinking. I knew it myself. I knew that. I didn't know much, but I knew that. I just knew. I thought, and I just knew I had to drink. There's no, there no, would you like a drink? I have to have a drink. I have to have one. And I would have hurt anyone if they got in my way. So there I am, an abused person flying to freedom and then I start to abuse myself with alcohol that sounds so sad <laughs> but that's what that's what it was and then I started to abuse myself 
And when I'm in, <laughs> when I drink, I'm on offer. I, oh my God, where I woke up, where I came to, it is horrendous. I've, I've shared it with, with some people, some of it I won't, don't need to share again. I've shared it, I've, I haven't hidden anything. And this is it. So, so I abuse myself and what I do is I have my children home and I choose, I neglect them. I don't look after them either. So my children who are now out of foster homes with me being totally neglected because I didn't cook, do the washing, do anything for them. And they were eight and nine because I was out drinking. I had to drink. I loved it. I love the smell, the taste. And it's not about what you drink or how much you drink. It's what it does to you. It's what it does to you. That's what I've learned in AA. I've, I've learned all this in AA. That's what it does to you. So if you had six beers and you were in the same condition I was, and I, I needed two or three bottles of brandy to get there, makes no difference. We, we're in the same spot. Out of it, on offer, no dignity, no help, no hope. So three years of that, and then this is where the story starts to get good. Because I go to my doctor, my GP, lovely human being. I have, oh, beautiful human beings in my life. My family. So my family, my doctor, my dentist, beautiful people. And then all these people here in AA. Love it. And, um, and I go to my doctor. And I say to him, I thought I'm going for a tonic. And this was hysterical. I was 15 stone. I'm nine now. This is my normal weight. I was 15 stone. I didn't eat. <coughs> I had alopecia. So you'd see all broad patches there. Because I didn't eat. And I thought, I need a tonic. It would have had to have been a bloody good tonic <laughs> to help me. That's all I can say. I, my eyes were down there. My Oh, the mini skirts were not invented then. And guess where my skirt was up here? I had one skirt, happened it was, when I bought it, good quality from Switzerland wool. Uh, it, was, it was a jacket, didn't fit me. But the skirt was down there to my calves. That was the style at the time. And as I was wearing it over the three years, it was getting shorter and shorter because I was getting wider and wider. And you'd see thunder thighs walking along. That was me. That was me. And, and I think I discovered miniskirts. I'm mistake. So then I go to this, this wonderful doctor in my miniskirt, which is not invented. And I, I fell in the chair. And it was smaller than this chair, so I sort of had to put, like, sort of not to fall off. And he was lovely. He, he looked at me and he said, Pauline, how can I help you? And, uh, and he looked at me so kindly. And I looked at him and I was just about to say, tonic. <laughs> and uh, I said, wait for it. I said, I can't stop drinking. I said, do you think these people, I'm, I'm going to cry, do you think these people in Alcoholics Anonymous can help me? I didn't know I'd heard of Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I didn't know. I didn't know. Where did that word come from? I didn't know about them. I didn't know I was going to ask her. Guess what he said? This was in 1972. He looked at me and he smiled and he said, no one else can help you. He said, they do marvelous things. And he said, they, they show each other that they don't have to drink. He said, he said, I've got a patient who's in Alcoholics Anonymous. He said, and he's done, he's done wonders in the last five years. And that guy came, became my sponsor. Wow. But I had to ask for help. And he, told, he knew what to do. He said, we have, so I'll phone him now, but you have to ask for help. Yeah. And, and then Mike's voice came on. He said, and my doctor said, I have to wait for it. He said, my a small surgery, Dr. Me Door. And he said to Mike, my sponsor, he said, Mike, I have got a lovely lady in here. And I went like this to the door. I thought, who's come in? <laughs> because in my eyes, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, it's a terrible word to use. I thought I was a slag. I thought I wasn't worth anything. Not because of my family, but because of my own thoughts and the way I'd allowed myself to be used. That's it. I thought that. So I thought a lady had walked in and he looked at me and he smiled with his eyes. 
meaning you're the lady, Pauline. My sponsor came two days after to 12 Step Note Friday. It was a Friday I was at my doctor's, and on the Monday, my sponsor came to 12 Step Me. And why? He wanted to send a lady, and I begged him not to send a lady. A lady would hurt, hate me because I'm the same sex and think, ugh, you can't be one of us. You're not worthy of it. But I thought a man might say, oh, poor cow. That's exactly what my thoughts are. Poor cow, give her a chance. But I thought a lady would say, oh, you can't, you're not one of us. So a lady wouldn't help me, I thought, because they'll think, ugh. And when Mike shook my hand when he came to see me, I thought he was going to go and wash it, saying, can I use the bathroom to wash it? I really thought that. I was waiting for him to say that because he went to shake my hand and I shook my hand and I watched. I thought he was going to go like that because he touched me. I used to bath in Dettel. It's not advised, actually. Lavender is much nicer. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this was my beginning. I love it. I love it. I love it. This is my beginning. This is my beginning. So I actually got the keys of the kingdom before I, before I really got to AA. That was the beginning. That was the beginning. That was my beginning, the beginning of my life. Precious, beautiful life. Whatever happens, precious, beautiful life, a gift. It's awesome. And I love it the way I was 12-stepped. What a messenger. He said, you've got a, an, an addiction you don't have to suffer from. He said, an illness. Sorry. An illness you don't have to suffer from. He said, and once I've finished explaining it to you and telling you about Alcoholics Anonymous, he said, then he, he said, everything you've done so far to drink, you will learn, learn to forgive yourself. He said, but once I've explained everything and you've been to some meetings, you know what AA is about, and then you choose to go out to drink. He said, then you bring that on yourself because you do not have to have another drink again. So I said, so I was like that listening. Um, I, I believed him. <laughs> I believed him. I didn't know if I could do it. I didn't know if I could do it, but I believed him. And I said to him, I don't know if I can do it. And he said, well, okay, how do you drink? So I thought, well, could you tell me the time, please? How long I've been speaking? 22 minutes. And so how long? Until 50 minutes, so you've got another okay. 28 minutes. Okay, okay. Yeah. He, he said, so he said, how do you drink? I said, I, I swallow it. I didn't know what he meant. You know, I swallow it. I was telling me I swallowed it. I just bark it like that. I mean, I stick my head in the barrel and drink it. I mean, that's it. And he said, now, how do you drink it? And I had made, for the first time in three years, a cup of tea. Oh, who drinks tea? And I'd made one for him and one for me. And I was looking at this cup and I drank it. And, and he said, how do you drink? And I said, and I went to the cup. I said, I pick it up and I drink it. And I drank my Tea. And he went, ah, that's what you do. He said, it's going to be so easy for you. So I said, how? He said, now when you see it, you just look at it and say, I don't have to pick it up. And this is what I said. I, I can still hear me. And I was looking at him for a minute. And then I went, ooh. <laughs> ooh. I'm like, I've never thought of that. Ooh. I was sitting there for ages, he said, saying, ooh. And it's like, ooh. <laughs> He said, you don't pick it up. Now, this is the best bit. But my higher power has been so good to me and still is. Because even when I was beaten up and bruised, I didn't die. And I was beaten up so badly when I was carrying my son, because my husband had decided at the time it was time for me to have the baby. So he tried to kick the baby out of me. And um, But what I did, I escaped by throwing myself down 36 stairs. There was two lots, and I just went like that and threw myself down because I didn't want to die in his hands. It was too horrible. And I wanted to, I wanted to escape. I didn't think I'd survive. I didn't think much. I just thought I got to get away from him. And I rolled up and the baby was safe. Now I am, if I was athletic or did sport, no one wanted me in the teams at the school, although she's too slow, she can't run. That was me. And for me to throw myself and I rolled into a perfect ball, nothing to do with me and landed, and baby and me were hospitalized now, but we were safe. Gift from God.
because anyone could would have died, broken their neck, broken something. And that's how that's what I totally believe about all my life. The stuff is stuff to learn from it, and that I'm here. My higher power wants me well. So about the drink, this was the best bit. That was the first day I was sober. Because he said, try not to have a drink. So I didn't. Wow, 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 powerful stuff. I didn't have a drink. He said, I'm not going to waste my time with you if you're drinking. So uh, he said, he said, there's lots of people need help. He said, I said, so I didn't, I didn't have one. And um, so he's sitting there telling me about, I don't have to drink. And then he said to me, and then he said, whatever happens, he said, if your grandmother, I told him about my lovely grandmother. He said, if your grandmother dies, he said, what are you going to do? Oh, I have to have a drink. He said, would it bring her back? I said, no. And he made me think about it. He made me answer. He made me, he waited for my answer. I said, no. He said, would it do her any good, you having a drink? No. Would it do you any good? having a drink when she died would it do you any would it make things better no the mess the trouble i got into drinking was horrendous so he said so that's one thing you don't have to drink on that he said you may never have a boyfriend because i said i haven't because he said about love or something i said i've never been in love i've never been in love i've never had a nice relationship with a boyfriend man never and he said you may never have one he didn't mince around. I love him. I loved it. We died a long while ago, but great. What a sponsor. He said, you may never. He says, what are you going to do? Oh, I haven't got a boyfriend. Oh, poor me. Um, uh, I'll have a drink. He said, oh, he's that sure to attract someone. He said, you're having a drink, right? Especially in my miniskirt. Um, he said, she's that sure to attract someone. He said, but without a drink, this is it. This is my, I love it. Without a drink, you've got a chance. Boy, do I, I love the sound of that. I loved it then. I loved it. I had a chance. He said, you may, I, I was unemployable at that time. And, I mean, no one would employ me. And he said, you may not get a job. It may take you a long time. He said, what are you going to do? Oh, I can't get a job. I'd better have a drink. He said, will that, get you a, will that get you a job? So I said, no. He said, but without, you might have a chance. Went through everything. Be homeless, got no money. And he said, this is the most important. He said, your children, oh, wow. I didn't know any other conversation. And he said, your children may never forgive you. He said, you may have done too much damage. Because I said, I didn't look after him. And he said, so what, do you think a drink would help the situation? No, make it worse. I could see, I could actually see that. And then I said, when he said about not drinking one day at a time, I said, I'm not very clever. I said, because he says, do you think you can do it? I said, well, to be honest, because I'd been called stupid by my husband. So it was just a natural thing for me to say at the time. I said, I'm actually stupid. I don't know if I can get the program. And he said, you're stupid. Thank God for that. All the stupid ones get it, he said. He said, it's the, he said, it's the ones like me, and he pointed to himself. He said, I'm quite a guy when you get to know me. And he said, it's like me thinking I can do it in six steps. He said, but no. He said, so he said, all the stupid ones get it. Hello. So I got it. But then I found out I'm not stupid. I just had a lot to learn. Just had a lot to learn. Not stupid. Not stupid. So what's my journey been like? That's my journey. I've not yet wanted a drink, felt like one, or needed one, or thought of one, yet. I am so, this is my mantra. And I know it's possible, but not today. Not today, not today. And the day, the day that he 12-stepped me, and I'll finish the story of this, and then I want to talk about the, about, about the just the recovery bit, is that I left, he left my home because he came round to, to my house to see me, to 12-step me. My children, I told them to be quiet. It's the only thing I've said to them in weeks. I said, the man is coming from AA to help me, AA. I didn't have a car, didn't drive. But my son said, I'll go and look for his van. (laughs) And he was on the balcony looking. And my heart breaks now thinking of his little body looking like that. But he didn't know 
they had nothing. They had a shit life. But not now. Not now. But the thing is, so he came, but when, when he left, when he finished 12-stepping, he had to go back to his pub. He had a pub. He had it five years. He had to give it up. He was telling everyone to go to AA. He told, he told these guys that used to come in every day, great spenders, go home to your wives. What about your kids? Have you taken your kids? He said, it's ruining me. He said, uh, he said, so he said, I'm, I got, and he did. He had to give up this thriving business because he was, everyone was drinking too much. They all sounded stupid. He said, they keep repeating themselves and he couldn't send it. So anyway, but the day that he left me to go back to his pub, the leather bottle, that's what it was called, in Leather Lane, that he's going back to his pub. I went, I thought, I need a job. I had no money. I borrowed from money lenders when I was drinking. I borrowed from people. And it never bothered me because I was his day, afternoon, evening, night, or out of it, so or drinking it. So I never thought of anything but drink. I wasn't drinking, so I thought about it. And I thought, oh, my God. And I started going like this. And I thought, and I owe him. Oh. And I thought, I thought, oh. And anyway, so I had to get a job. And, and I'd said this to my sponsor. I said, I owe money. And, and for money, Linda, I'm da, 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 da. And he said, you better find a job then. I said, okay. And I went to this sleazy club. And uh, it was sleazy by anyone's standards. Anyway, and the girl who was in there doing the bar, she came round. She said, "She said the manager will be here. The manager. You should have seen him. My God, um, he probably belonged to Al Capone. He was scary. <laughs> Chip marks everywhere. The manager. Yeah. Anyway, um, so she said he could come and, sit and see you. He, he's talking to someone. Okay. So I sat there. And she bought me a, a beer glass full of wine, a pint glass full of wine, because she knew me, and she, that's <coughs> that was like was that all for me? So I had that. So it was there." And I sat in this chair and I'd been speaking to Mike two hours before. And, and he told me what to do when I saw a drink. He said, walk, don't walk past pubs if you don't have to. He said, take a long route. You know, he said, don't put yourself on offer. Don't, he said, people say, oh, come and have a drink. Just have a lemonade. No. He said, no, he said, to give yourself a chance. To give, uh, to give myself a chance. Give me a chance. So he said, so when you... So anyway, so when I saw this bottle, it came, the glass came there and I went, I went, oh my God. And I thought, oh, what did Mike say about that? He told me, he told me. He told me. And I couldn't think for the moment because I was looking at that glass and I thought, what do I say? And I thought, oh yeah, he said, don't, you don't have to drink it. She went out of the room, left me on my own. And I, I this is me. I looked at the glass and I went, pointed to it. And I said, I don't have to drink. <laughs> I kept thinking, what did he say? don't have to drink he said look at it said, i don't have to drink you i don't have it. he told me that so i'm doing exactly the same two hours later don't have to drink you don't and when she came in again and she said you want another one that would have been normal like within 10 minutes but i was gone i said i don't have to drink it i don't have to drink it <laughs> I, I don't have to drink it i didn't say to take you i didn't think of that but don't have to drink it i haven't drank it it's still there or wherever it is i got it I got, I got the most important bit so that I could learn all the rest. Isn't that gorgeous? Isn't that gorgeous? So my journey over these years, now the keys are it. The keys of the kingdom came before Mike, but they came with Mike. And for me, it's, it's such a beautiful, I think it's the most beautiful part of the book where, where it talks about the keys of the kingdom because it's, her, it's willingness. It's willingness. And what I did have, which I learned afterwards, I, I just thought I was stupid, I was this, that, the other, but no. When I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I wanted to be well. If you think about how beautiful that is, you all know that because that's why you're all sitting here. You're not sitting here because you've got nothing else to do tonight. You, everyone's sitting in here because they want to be well. Now, how how beautiful is that? It's not flash. It's not any. It's just I want, I want to be well. You know. And so, Mike came, and I found that. And afterwards, and he came and trusted me, and he said, "Do you want to give it a try?" And I said, "Yes, please." I was I was in, and the keys have never been locked. The door's never been locked. The keys have always been in the door, but it's never been locked, in my experience. 
because I, I've never wanted a holiday from AA. I've never wanted to think, oh, I'll give it a miss. I, I've never, I, I love it. I love it. I love it the first day I found it. I didn't think I'd get it. Oh, this is my first day. Um, Mike, can you do a day? A day is a long time. So I said, I don't know. So he said, could you, would you like to try? He said, well, how about trying an hour at a time? I said, all that, yes, please, can I do that? <laughs> an hour at a time. I said, please, oh, thank you. It was lovely, he gave me choice, you know, a day is a long time, but um, an hour. And I remember my 24 hours, I, I've never forgotten this. I've never forgotten my last drinking. I never, I've never forgotten that feeling of coming to saying, oh, I've done it again. Oh, God, I, I can feel it here. And that was, I said, I've done it again. I've done it again. That is the worst, worst feeling of the world. So after my first 24 hours, two o'clock in the morning, he was an insomniac. He told me that. And I wake him up. <laughs> I don't know. I phoned him. I said, Mike, Mike. He said, I, said, I said, it's Pauline. He said, I know. <laughs> but he didn't say it nicely. He said, I know. I said, and afterwards he told me no one else would dare phone me at two o'clock in the morning. He said, and I said to him, it was silence, and I said, I haven't had a drink for 24 hours. And there was a deadly silence. And I thought, oh, he's gone back to sleep. And I was holding the phone and, and I thought, I just put it back on. <laughs> like that. I was just doing that thinking, don't want to get into trouble. And as I was doing that, I heard him go, wow. And I've never forgotten the wow because I still got it in me. My first day, wow. My first week to myself, I went, wow. Just to me. First month, I went, wow. First year, wow. I'm still doing it. Nothing's changed. Wow. Wow. And because I'm willing, that is the key, the kingdom. So all we have to be, just try. I, oh, it's hysterical, the word trying. I got well, I get well, I stay well by trying. But, but sometimes I thought I'd been trying so hard that I needed a break. <laughs> I mean, like... <sighs> Some things, I mean, it's like life is painful. Oh, let me share this now because this is what helped me tremendously. I once said to my mother, I said, you don't understand. <laughs> I always used to say to him, you don't understand, I'm in pain here. And I said to him one day, so you don't understand, I'm in so much pain. And he said, yeah. And I thought, well, that, was not, that wasn't very caring. <laughs> yeah, he said, yeah. I said, no, you don't understand. I said, I'm in, I'm in a lot of pain. And he said, it's pain. I was sober about over a year. And... Um, Two years, and I said I'm in a lot of pain. He said, "Yeah." I said, "But I'm, I said I thought when am I when am I going to get better?" And he said, "You are." I said, "But I don't feel it." He said, "Look, I'll tell you something." He said, "There's two types of pain." And I said, "Yeah," and he said, "There's the one when you drink." He said, "There's no end to it." I knew that pain. I still I can still feel that pain. I know that pain. And then he said, and then there's the pain you're in now. I love this. He said, it's healing pain. Mm. He said, imagine you're going to a doctor and you've got gangrene or something. They cut it out of you. They stitch you up. And the surgeon said, Pauline, we've taken everything. It's all, you're all safe inside. You're stitched up. It's going to hurt while it's healing. It's going to hurt like hell, but it's healing stitches. It's well. He said, that's what you're going through now. And I remember sometimes being in so much pain and then just remembering what he said. Oh, yeah, this is healing pain. And I remember once I was rolling around the floor in my lounge. No one was home except me in pain. I think it was called some self-pity <laughs> and fear <laughs> and uh, projection. I projected quite a bit and until I learned not to. I rarely do. No, don't project. No, I don't project. But I can, I can have some... Um, I don't get self-pity, but I can get a bit self-centered or something. I'm, and I'm still working on stuff. But I remember in pain of like, oh, my, my poor life, rolling around the floor. And then suddenly I thought, oh, the pain I'm in is healing pain. And suddenly I got off from the floor onto my knees and said, thank you, God. That's how I got well. Just by, Now, just let, have I got time? 
minutes. 10 minutes. So now I haven't mentioned the program. Do I need to? It's perfection. We're not, we're not, but the program is. The 12 steps are gifts. And boy, did I know, need to know how to live, to, to show respect for my children. I kept trying to learn to work. I, had to learn, I learned to work. And this was the best. With my children, I didn't know how to speak to them. And I said to my, what do you say to them? I've never spoken to my children. Except, do you want that? Have you eaten that? End of. He said, you, look, you, have, you don't learn to have conversations with them. Because I said, oh, what's right? One morning I said, they keep saying good morning to me. And he said, yeah. I said, what do I do? He said, say good morning back. I went, oh, I mean, hello. <laughs> I was 31, but I didn't, didn't know that. Didn't know that. I'd never had conversations with the poor darlings. And so I'd say good morning. And then one day he said to me, oh, this was horrendous. He said, right. He said, what do you do at dinner time? I was a year sober at this time, I remember. He said, what do you do at dinner time? I said, because I'd never cooked for them. And they had for about one year, frozen beef burgers, frozen peas and frozen chips every day. That's what they had every day, all frozen, obviously. <laughs> and, um, and then they used to go to their rooms with their plates and I used to go to my room with my plate. And Mike said to me, to learn how to be a mum, he said, you have to talk to your children, get to know them, let them get to know you. I thought that was horrific horrifying it wasn't because I didn't want to I was frightened I didn't think I could do it I didn't I didn't think I could do it so that that reminded me of someone's empties just then so <laughs> you never forget some sounds do you I mean like that that's, thank god they're not mine uh, so, yeah thank god they're not mine <laughs> so this was my introduction to the children we at this day I cooked they were going to separate rooms. I said, let's get together. I said, we have to eat. Oh, no, I didn't say it like this. I sound so nice. <laughs> oh, I was a bitch from hell for three years. I was so frightened of doing, I couldn't, I couldn't do all this. And it was fear that made me edgy and frightened, you know. Um, but I learned not to be. I keep doing the best I could, the best I can in AA. It is a glorious, glorious, glorious program. You've got nothing to lose, nothing... What have you got to lose trying it? So they were not, did not look happy, my poor darlings, when I said that. So they're sitting at the end of the table, mum sitting, and he said, have conversation, I thought. And I said, in this voice, I still got all my old voice when I came in, like pitying, like, what am I going to do? I'm in pain, voice. Or um, I can't cope. Everything I would say, I can't cope, or I can't do it. Right. And then on this occasion, the children... I said to the children, so I said to Carl, what did you do to school today? In that voice. He went like that. He said, oh, whatever subjects he did. And I went, okay. That was the end of that conversation. And I said to my daughter, Lynette, what did you do at school today? What did you do? I mean, huh? And she told me whatever. And they went on eating. And, uh, and I said to them, wait for it, magic. I said, don't anyone ask me about my day. Yeah. And they didn't. <laughs> they, they just looked at me. Now, this was the best bit. So when I, I thought, I've done it, Mike said, try. I tried. So when dinner was over, they went to their rooms. I, I, went, to, I went to the phone. This was me. Lit a fag. Used to chain smoke them. Um, picked up the phone, dialed Mike. Mike, wait for it, with, with this tone. It's me, pleased with myself. <laughs> and he said, um, he said, how are you? And he said, how did it go? I said, you, you told me to try, and I have, like, get the point in there, I have. I said, and I told him what happened, and I said to him, it didn't work. So he said, so I said, okay. So I said, no, he said, but you tried. Now wait for it. He said, you tried. Well done, Pauline. And he always said to me, well done when I tried something. Always. And it didn't go to my head. It just made me feel safe. I was doing my bit to be well. It's not about, oh, look at me. No, it's not that sort of, that it made me feel safe. I'm, I'm, I'm doing my bit to be well. But then he said, so then I was all smug, so I can move on to something else. And he said, okay, now try again tomorrow. 
And the next day he said, try again tomorrow. Try. And he said the same when I was working. I said, I can't sell. I went to sales. Can't sell. Try again. Try. I would go cry. Go to work. Try. Wasn't worth. Try. Try. Months. Try. And I said, I, I am trying. You don't understand. He said, I do. He said, keep trying. He said, you want to be well? I said, yes. So I was willing. That's the keys. The keys are still there. The door's unlocked and I can open it. And he said, and I kept trying. But the thing is what happened by me being willing, because it's beautiful, by me being willing and keep trying whatever, I had to try everything and keep trying. What has it brought me? I became, I'll just start on the outside. I became a very good salesperson. And then I came a very, very, very good salesperson. I was so, I was very good at my job. And I loved it. And I've loved all my work that I've had in sobriety. Oh, I left that terrible club after 13 months, got out of debt, ran out there the same day and started my proper life. But I got out of debt sober. Sober. It was hell in there. But I didn't drink. I was willing <coughs> to be well. I was moaning a lot. But I was doing my best. And by doing my best and being willing, what has my life been like? Biggest gift? My children, that's their gift to me, chose to forgive me. Oh, and um, I learned to love them. I did love them, but I didn't know what love was, if you know what I mean. I'd never shown them love. I had them. I never not wanted them, but I just didn't know what to do with them. I didn't know how to be a mum. I learned how to be a mum. It took me years. And I'd go through it all again to have what we have now. Um, I learned how to work, loved my work. And I was headhunted, a few companies, and it, did, and it didn't go to my head. What I thought is, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to my higher power for letting me keep trying keep trying i wasn't trying to go into space i just wanted to learn to have, have a life here on earth with being dignified i went into business for myself i bought a house on my own hello mm -hmm. and again it's not about conceit it's because of aa mm -hmm. i was responsible i was doing my best i was working i was i was getting on with my life and i went into business for myself and the business failed and someone said to me when the business failed, um, I'm so sorry you failed. And I said, no, I didn't. The business did. <laughs> and I didn't know I was going to say it. it just came out because it was the truth. And I sold my house. I had a choice to go bankrupt and then I could keep my house, my accountant said, or I could sell my house and pay everyone off and I probably wouldn't have anything left. I had a choice. So I went for selling my house. And the reason why it's not me being good, it's, it's the, uh, I am entitled. I'm speaking for myself, that's why I always speak for myself. I had the goods, pay for them, Pauline. Mm. That's how I feel, that's how I feel. It's honorable, it's the, for me, it's the right thing to do. And I've known people not do that, and that's the right thing for them to do. And it wouldn't make me love them less or anything like that. We're all got to decide for ourselves. <laughs> and, but, do you see now the gifts? Because I was doing the best I could and the right things, my children and my children's partners both said to me, the thought said to me, you can come and live with us permanently. I mean, it's one thing having your children wanted you to be at home, but my, my daughter-in-law and son-in-law love me too. I mean, in, in not just to put up with me for every week here or there, it's to live with them. That's because of Alcoholics Anonymous. I've learned to treat people more decently, not snap. Mm. Have kindness. I love kindness. Um, so what has it given me? And I knew I'd never have a boyfriend and I never looked for one because I was I had a bad past and I was soiled goods in my eyes. I know I'd I'd now cleanse myself and I was bathing in beautiful bubbles and things like that and, and all that. <laughs> but I just thought 
no man could handle that, that background. And I would have to tell them because in or out of the fellowship, it's I need to be honest. And then I was 19 years sober. And this man appeared in my life. In, in, he was in AA. AA. And, um, and then we were together for 28 years. And Dennis, my boyfriend, sorry to you gentlemen in here, but he's the best beautiful boyfriend in the world. <laughs> so, I'm not saying you're not good ones, but Dennis in the world, the most gentle, beautiful, love. I didn't know a man. I mean, I know my son is loving. And my grand, I've got grandchildren, grown up for 40, 38 and 35, my grandchildren. And my two, my grandsons are beautiful and art and all of, and so, but Dennis, most beautiful man in the world. And we had 28 years together and he died six years ago. The pain was so great. My body felt like it was being knocked about that I thought I was moving about. I wasn't, it was inside. And after a few months, I, I remember throwing myself on the bed and I didn't ask God to take the pain from me. No, I'll live my life. This is my life. I'll live it. I'll face what I have to face. But I was, I was so in pain. And I just said to my higher power, I don't, I'm not asking you to stop the pain. Just help me through it, please. That's all. Just because it seemed impossible at that time without Dennis. You know, Dennis said to me when, when he met me, when he told me he loved me, and, he, and I told him my life story from the past, I mean, which I'm not saying all here. And he said, he never cried. It was one time I saw tears in his eyes and he tears and he said, and he just held me in his arms. He said, no one will ever hurt you again. I'm going to protect you and love you forever. And he did. And he does, still does. I believe in life after, but that's my stuff. And he's still here looking after me, keeping an eye. He'll always keep an eye on me. He'll always keep. My glory is so I know in recovery, I think I have to stop now. I've learned, so I have in my life, and I have friends I have friends, some are up there as well. Um, oh, uh, oh no, over there, sorry, <laughs> wherever yeah. you are. Um, um, I've got friends, <coughs> my family, and on Sunday I celebrated with family and friends of about 30 of us. And all I could do was jump up and down like a five-year-old and say, it's so good, it's so good. But I don't just think that occasionally, I know it's so good all the time. I do my best. My higher power knows. And sometimes I don't do my best. And sometimes I throw my sponsor and saying I'm not doing very well. And we talk it through. And you still need help. I all I will always need AA. And not only I need it, I want it. I love it. It's beautiful. I think I, I'll, I'll stop there if I may. But just to I think I've covered everything I have, but don't give up. Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. Never. Thank you. Wow.